Hi, this is Dave Pryor from Drunken PM Radio. Before we start with the podcast, I want to let you know that we're only about two weeks away from the start of the 2017 Digital PM Summit, which is taking place in Las Vegas on October 15th through the 17th. If you haven't attended before, the DPM Summit is one of the most inspiring conferences I've been to. The presenters are always really strong and they do a great job challenging the audience to raise their game with respect to how they lead teams at digital agencies. If you'd like to learn more about the Digital PM Summit, please visit bureauofdigital.com. And right before the summit starts, on October 14th and 15th, I'm going to be teaching a special certified Scrum Master class in Las Vegas at the M Resort, which is where the conference is being held. We've got a special discount for attendees of the conference, so if you're interested, just send me a message on Twitter at, at DrunkenPM or send me an email at DrunkenPM at gmail.com and I'll get you set up. The class is going to cover all the required CSM material, but I'm planning on having it be a lot more focused on how Scrum applies within the context of a digital agency than I normally would in a regular CSM class. So if this is appealing to you and you're interested, just go to leadingagile.com training and remember to contact me for the special discount code. You can reach me on Twitter at, at DrunkenPM or send me an email at DrunkenPM at gmail.com. Thanks. Now on to the podcast. Hey, this is Dave Pryor for Drunken PM Radio, which you're probably listening to on projectmanagement.com. I want to thank them once again for being a sponsor. Today, we're going to be talking about a new book called Agile Coaching Wisdom from Practitioners, which was put together by, there were a lot of people that contributed to it, but the two main editors were Michael De La Mata and Devil Panchal. So guys, thank you both for being here. Thank you. And thank you for being patient enough to do this a third time. So this is our third attempt. The first one I messed up, the second one the recording died. This one's going to be awesome. Um, so the book includes stories from a lot of different coaches. Um, I guess the first question I'd like to ask you is who are you aiming this book at? Like who are the people that should be picking this up and and looking to it for kind of wisdom and things to help guide them? Target audience is agile coaches who want to learn more and the clients who are interested in understanding what coaches. Okay, what, what do you think are the kind of some of the misconceptions that clients have when a coach walks in the door? I think there are two main misconceptions. One is that people don't know what Agile is, and when they find out what it is, they don't want it. Second, they don't know what coaching is, and when they find out what it is, they don't want it. <laughs> All right, they don't want that either. So why don't they want... What about Agilic when it finally, or when they finally start to see what it is? What about that is kind of not exciting for them or not something that they want anymore once they find out what it actually is? Yeah, so that Agile has these very strong values and principles. And in fact, that's all it is, right? A set of four values and, and 12 principles. And they require significant changes at the individual level and the organizational level for just about everyone in every company. And looking at oneself and looking at one's organization and then changing oneself and changing one's organization is extremely difficult and unwelcome. And there's an alternative. The alternative is to do nothing. Which which for some of them, I mean, that sometimes that's the, the best answer for them, right? If they're not or I guess, how would you coach them? If you, if you see somebody, an organization that you think, yeah, they've seen the shiny coin, they've read the HBR articles, it looks like it might be cool, but they don't really seem at a point where they're willing and able to commit themselves to it 
in a way that'll allow it to be successful, is it better for them to kind of dip a foot in the pool and kind of stumble through it for a while? Or is it better for them to wait until things are in such a state that they really are ready to go head on in? Practice in proportion to your aspirations. So I, I once worked with a developer who I didn't understand him. Conversation after conversation after conversation, I didn't understand it. Finally, he told me, look, Michael, we make a very good living, my wife and I, and we have something like five more years until retirement, and I just don't want things to change. And that's perfectly fine, right? That's that person's truth. Okay. Where's the challenge? The challenge is when an organization like that says, I want Agile and I want Agile coaching. Right. But so, I mean, all, all three of us have run up against that situation. And I think, and at some point we'll all be in that situation, but, um, I, I feel for that guy. I mean, I don't, maybe he shouldn't be forced to change. Like, how do you, if you're brought in there and your job is transform this organization and there's people in that state where the right answer for them is just to just let it ride. What, how, how do you coach yourself into a space where you're okay with that? Because that's at odds with what you've been told to do. That person uh, becomes an impediment for you. Y- yes and no, Dave, right? Okay. Part of uh, the unspoken law of coaching is you must be invited to coach. Okay. And this is different than economically invited, which I, which is a sponsor is saying, hey, I'm going to pay you money in order to provide coaching to, uh, let's say, seven people in my team. Uh, that's the economical invitation, but there still needs to be a personal invitation from every one of the single members of the team to say, yes, I am open to coaching. When an individual per se is directly not interested in coaching, you can always check if they are opposed to you providing coaching to the whole team. And I've often done that quite a few times uh, to first offer my coaching to the entire team which means that I will not be providing one-on-one coaching to any individual, but I leave that door open for anyone who's interested in one-on-one coaching. And a few people take that on, and some people are perfectly comfortable not going through the one-on-one coaching because of whatever reasons that they might have, right? So if the entire team, on the other hand, says, yeah, we don't think we should be doing coaching, that would be the time when I would talk to the sponsor and say, this is not something that we can do. Because okay. there's no way you can, you can inflict coaching on anybody, you know? Well, yeah, there's so many things that I want to ask you about this. So can you, let's say that somebody's looking at becoming a coach, um, but they don't know how to do this. Can you give me an example of how that conversation would go? Like I am, let's say I am somebody on the client side. I'm on a team. They just brought you in. They said, he's going to be your coach. He's going to teach you how to do agile. Right. How are you going to, how are you going to, because it's almost like you're a vampire that I have to let in the house. Right. <laughs> you know, part of it is coming back to the book. What I think Michael did really well was he interviewed a lot of coaches, uh, the CECs. Right. on certain topics and one of the topic in fact the very first one with roger brown is around what does a typical coaching situation looks like and they go through a q a i'm kind of trying to draw some attention to the book per se because that that's exactly one of the scenarios that's going on in in the coaching book which is wisdom from practitioners 
However, coming back to your own question, right? What would that look like if I am involved in a coaching with your team when there are other people also part of it? I would probably just make sure that my sponsor is able to articulate in their own words why they've asked for coaching. Okay. And my uh, and do that in my presence when the rest of the team members are there. So at least we are hearing the same motivation for for getting coaching inside this team. Okay. My first goal when I'm getting introduced to the team, and I would call it my day one goal, is never to give any advice. Like it's 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 very hard at times, but many times I I only listen and I listen and I listen and. There have been times when I sit through an entire three-hour meeting and I'll end up with just one simple question at the end of three hours. But I try to make sure that the question is a relevant question, you know? Okay. Because when you demonstrate the ability to sit and listen and actually process what's going on and then provide some kind of an opening question or maybe even a statement, uh, people uh, realize that you're actually interested in paying attention to what's going on in the team as opposed to uh, doing a nine-to-five thing, you know? Okay, so you're not there trying to sell them. You're not trying to convince them to let you into the house. You're brought no. into the house, somebody explains why you're there, and then they would be told, hey, if you'd like help, you have to ask them. Is that? I mean, are they actually expressly going to say, can you coach us? Sometimes, yes, yeah, sometimes, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, sometimes it's it's the teams itself. They would say, you know, we need some coaching, and that's why I get involved into that kind of a situation. Okay. But there are times when when you get invited to coach by the economical sponsor uh, to for a team that is not really motivated to get coaching or to do something differently. Okay. But, and there's probably a much larger story at play, and which is part of my role, right? Is to look at what's the system at play right here. Because it might be that the sponsor needs more coaching than the team. They are just under the impression that the team needs more coaching than them. Yeah. And that's often an interesting dialogue to have. So I want I have a question for both of you about coaching. So one of the um, jokes that I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see if it offends either one of you. One of the jokes I often make in my classes, the CSM and the CSPO classes, is at the end of the class I say, I talk about how much I enjoyed coaching and how much I got out of it. And that if you want to be an Agile coach, all you have to really do to get started is stand up and declare yourself an Agile coach, and there you go. Um, but the people that are practicing this at the level that I know you guys are at, it's a very, very different thing than somebody who has telling other teams what to do. Um, what, do you, what do you think it takes for somebody to go from being a strong practitioner to actually being the kind of level of coach that you guys are? I think that's an extremely important question. Um, for our entire field, yeah, and really for the world, okay, um, because what hap what it happens and what is happening is that in the absence of an answer to that question that makes sense to everyone, right? Coaches, clients, what's what since there's so much demand yeah. for coaching and training is that we're seeing a massive influx of people who, as you say, just call themselves agile coaches. Right. And in particular, we're seeing a massive influx from management consulting companies. Yeah. You know, start off with having C-level relationships at every S&P 500 company. 
and who can bring a massive number of people almost overnight into a situation. Right. And the harm with that is that they show up as agile coaches and they damage the client's understanding forevermore or close to it about what agile is and what coaching is. Okay. Which is bad for them. It's bad for us. It's bad um, for the world. And so the, my best answer to that question is that the Scrum Alliance has two certifications, the certified team coach and the certified enterprise coach certification, right. which I think are extremely valuable. Um, there's a set of courses. The best known folks are Lisa Atkins Group, ACI, but there are many others. Olaf Leewitz teaches one, Martin Alimo teaches one. And then there's the professional coaching activities, right? Coactive coaching, ORSC. And all of those are ways to learn more about coaching and to become a better coach and to understand what coaching is and what's the difference between coaching and consulting in particular. So I, I'm... I want to first mention that the, for anybody who's listening, that the, all the people who contributed to the book are CECs or CSTs, right? Or, or CTCs. Or CTCs. Or CTCs. Oh. Okay. So, how do you, um, Michael? How do you define a coach and what their what is their job? Yeah. So the way I, I describe it is, I'm here to help you understand what you want and to get more of it by adopting the Agile perspective on your work. Okay. So what if I was to come to both of you and say, look, I got this giant company. I got $10 million. I need you to come in here and, you know, do your coaching thing. Make them Agile. I need them Agile in a month. Make it happen. Ah. I mean, because that happens all the time. How do you guys respond to those? Because I think it's, it would be naive to say that it's like the fault of management. I think that they've got their own stuff going on. They bring their own things to the table. They want to plug this thing in and make it happen because it sounds cool. And they've got a lot of money behind it. As somebody who is devoted to the craft of coaching, how do you deal with those situations? Yeah, so, so that situation is one that, I used to actually get tricked because I wasn't perceptive enough or wise enough to understand that I was in that situation. Okay. So for example, I once worked at a company where there was a pretty big fight between the engineering organization and the PMO. So the head of the PMO reported into the CIO and the head of application development also reported into the CIO. And the way that the CIO used the PMO was to give him a second opinion on what the application management organization was doing. Okay. And so the application management organization brought in a set of agile coaches who said things like, there are no project managers on scrum teams. And so the project management organization lost its political power and was in fact folded into the application management organization, which is what they wanted to use Agile for, right? They wanted to use Agile as a way of getting- I know a lot of people who'd be totally okay with everything that you just said though. Oh yes, so 
And I actually participated in that because I wasn't wise enough to understand that that's how I was being used. Okay. So today that happens less and less. And so I'm able to make a conscious choice about um, whether or not I'm going to participate in that. But your and your and, choices are not whether or not you want the thing to be folded in. Your choices are more about how to protect and preserve yourself in this engagement and this interaction, right? Yeah, really, whether or not to participate, right? okay. whether or not to sign on the dotted line or not. Okay. Yeah. And, I mean, you see the kind of uh, starting condition that you described, Dave, yeah. was around basically a lot of money, very little unrealistic time. Can you help me mark this checkbox called Agile? I mean, uh, I bet for- there were 50 SOWs written up today for that exact thing. Oh, yeah. No, I have seen this happen over and over again, right? And a lot of this has to, is is extremely damaging to the organization that goes through this kind of, uh, that goes through this kind of work. Right. And oftentimes you will find that many, and, and I think I can say this with a large degree of confidence, that people who are CECs or CTCs, are often the people who will never sign up for a gig like this because our people who understand what coaching is and how organizational change really happens will typically try to, they'll make the mistake of helping the client understand that what they are asking for is not realistic. Right. Also, it's going to do too much of the damage to their own organization. But at the same time, it's, it's almost like the person who is asking for this already knows that and they're not in it for the long-term benefit or the health of their own organization. Yeah. A, trend that I, a trend that I've seen is there are quite a few, um, you could say senior level executives who might be tempted to also get one of those uh, stripes on their, on their chest saying, I also did an agile transformation. Yeah. And, they, and and it's a very valid, what do you call it, a, a resume builder today. Like, in other words, if you are a, 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 a VP or a senior level executive in any organization, and if you haven't transformed a 2,000 person organization in three minutes, then you're kind of useless. So they all are running towards getting those credentials. And in the wake, uh, many senior executives are destroying their own companies. Okay. So... Uh, I feel like this is this is a passing phase, you know. Uh, in another three, four years, uh, you will, the system will wash itself out. In, in other words, the chasm of, of Me Too Agile, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, Agile companies, uh, you'll find them less and less because they don't continue to exist anymore. So, all right, so I want to, I wasn't going to ask this question, but I'm going to ask both of you anyway and may end up cutting this one out of the interview. So what you just described is a space in which, you know, all the things that need to, all the dinosaurs that need to die off are going to die off in the next couple of years. I would contend, and this is the thing I'm looking to you both to respond to, that that's not going to happen. That there's going to be a much longer tail to this. And all those people who aren't ready yet, they'll be our customers later on. And I'm happy to go take all the you know, work with all the PMPs when they're coming in and help them start to slowly figure this out. I think there may be a lot of companies that aren't ready for what you guys are doing yet. I mean, but they will be. But is is that what you're saying, Davo? Or, or do you think that we're actually going to wash all the dysfunction and waterfall out of the system? Uh, no, let me put it this way. 
in, in all natural systems, there's a tendency to overcompensate. So when the agile movement came about, yeah. and uh, I'm, I'm saying the, the 2000 to 2010, yeah. although agile was there in 2001, but it got people's attention in post-2005. Uh, we are now experiencing a, a state where everything should be agile, right? Uh, do you plan a wedding? It should be agile. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so there is this period of overcompensation. Okay. What that, so what that means is there are a lot of companies jumping into, I should also be agile bandwagon because yeah. that will help me. Well, it's cool. Keep me, keep me viable. Yeah. Uh, those are the companies that even if they did not do agile or not wouldn't matter not because okay agile is not helpful to them but because what keeps them successful is probably the relationship with some government official somewhere who gives you three trillion dollars in, in in business every year okay so it doesn't matter whether you're agile or not and i'm i'm making up this hypothetical scenario to kind of talk to, to express that a business is not just in business because of its uh, efficiency or effectiveness. There could be a whole other set of reasons that are never publicized or not known. Uh, for example, if you're a monopoly in a nice regulated market, then who cares whether you're agile or not? Right. Right. So, so, so businesses that need to stay competitive will have to do it well. Okay. All right. So, so maybe the the herd of organizations trying to do this will thin out and those that do continue with it will have to become sharper at their approach. Yep. Okay. Michael, do you have any thoughts on this? So I think the question of how long this is going to take uh, is an absolutely uh, fascinating question, which I don't have an answer to, but I'm doing research on it now. So I might have a better answer for you six months from now. Oh, I would but love that. Yeah. 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 But what is definitely the case, right, is that we already have anecdotal examples of companies completely incinerating uh, market leaders. Yeah. So there's the famous Netflix versus Blockbuster graph, right. right, where in three years, Blockbuster went from having a store on every single street corner to not existing. Yeah. And Netflix was a startup. We have the example of Airbnb versus all of the hotel companies. Yeah. So Airbnb now has a bigger market value than any other hotel company. And two of the largest hotel chains just had to merge in order to stay alive. Wow. You know, we have the example of Tesla now having a market cap that's greater than GM and Ford. Right? And these are all things that have happened in the last 10 years. Yeah. Right? So super fast changes in moving from the industrial era to the digital era. Yeah. Cool. So I talked to, just to throw it into your research, uh, I asked Shane Hasty this question one time, and he said he thought it was going to take an entire generation to pass through the worst for workforce before the transition was done. Yeah, so a generation is 20 years? Yeah, I would guess. And it, yeah. and it started 10 years ago? Yeah. 
It's 10 years. That doesn't seem like enough time for me. To <laughs> <laughs> right, right. All right. So, so one last question. So I'm going to make sure to put a link to the book. And one thing I want to say about the book, the authors, a lot of the people you've got in here, like Roger, Bob Galen, you've got uh, Gulo and Gene, and there's a lot of really bright people and Kelly Harris that have contributed to this. So if you're kind of moving into coaching, I would definitely check this out. There's going to be a lot of wisdom in there. But I want to ask you guys both one final question. People that get good at Agile, good practitioners, um, a lot of them want to move into coaching. Do you have to be an expert in Agile to be a good coach, or do you have to be an expert in coaching to be good at Agile coaching? The, the, can I can I reframe what you're asking? And yeah, like I'm just trying to like if if I'm really yeah, yeah. good at Agile, do I have to go become? I'm, do I have to stu- you know study the go to Lisa's thing and go to the, get the Orsi thing and all that other stuff, or can I just right. be naturally a good coach? Do I have to really go do all that stuff? Uh, doing all of this stuff, like going to uh, organizational systems coaching. Uh, program, uh, what we do at Agile 42, the advanced team coaching program, all of that is, um, is, is, is there to help you increase your awareness about what else is out there. Okay. So you don't get too insular about, uh, or, or too, too, uh, secure in, uh, what you already know. Right. And expertise is a very, probably very wrong term because there is no way of knowing whether somebody is an expert or not. In, in, in other words, you often well hear said, people man. say, "Yeah, keep going." Sorry. Yeah, because people will say, "Well, I have done uh, HTML coding for five years, so I am an expert on HTML." But how do I know whether you do all kinds of HTML coding or whether you just coding the login page for the last five years? Yeah. So, so. What is more important as a coach is you try to expose yourself to a variety of situations, right? And you get through this variety of situations because it allows you to flex different muscles in your in your own skill set. And then having the awareness to attend some programs or reading books or learning from other people allows you to use that expertise, something that a story that I read in the Agile Coaching Wisdom from Practitioners book, if I can apply that to do something different in my situation on the client side, then I have now built a new muscle memory of approaching a similar situation slightly differently. So given the variety of the context that you deal with, if you are able to keep up by providing a variety of responses, in other words, if you face a problem, do you have at least three ways of addressing that issue? If you only have one way, and it sounds like all you're saying is inspect and adapt, no matter what you see in front of you in a coaching situation, then you're probably not a good coach. Okay. And and, and so that, that would be my ask is like, if you are stepping into this role, uh, Try to expose yourself to different challenging situations and, and try to experiment or tinker and use the resources that are available so so readily available out there uh, to discover new ways of doing the same stuff. I think what you said about multiple ways to do it is a really good because I mean I would say that's the same thing for for a CST. If you're in you know in a panel and you get asked a question, we had somebody not that long ago who started to give an answer. I asked a second question. She stopped what she was doing, ripped it off the flip chart, and did it in a completely different way. If you can go beyond either ask the team or it depends into something else when they need it, that's 
that's a good thing. More tools, right? Yep. More approaches. Cool. Michael, what about you? Yes, this actually touches on one of my favorite questions, which is what characteristic do coaches benefit from, which is little discussed? Okay. And my answer, which I actually stole from another CEC um, by the name of Xavier, X-A-V-I-E-R, is being smart. And when he told me this thing, I had spent like years going from like individual performance, heroic behavior, to finally sort of getting the team concept and getting collaboration. So when he said that, I burst out laughing because it's actually true. I mean, that's sort of my felt experience. Okay. You know, even something like facilitation and just tracking what everyone in the room is saying really works focus and memory and concentration. So it is enormously helpful to be a scholar of the field and to understand Agile and its roots and to understand coaching and its roots. Hence our book. Yeah. So, okay. So can I ask one, one more, tack one more on here, even though I promised to stop if I go quick? Do you think there's people that shouldn't be coaches? And I'll, yes. give, you, and I'll give you an example. I, I, I don't pursue coaching anymore. And the reason is because I know what it's supposed to be. And I know that I am able to watch and help until I hit a certain point. And then I'm like, stop it. Just do it this way. What you're doing is stupid. I need you to just let's we'll talk about it later. Like I can't I can only watch for so long. <laughs> and I think that's probably a very bad thing. And it's a limitation that I have. But do you think there are people that have don't have the right kind of personality for this? Or can anybody learn how to do it? it, it it's, a, it's a question of temperament okay. to, to some degree. And I feel like for people who should do coaching is uh, folks who would do coaching or approach a situation from a coaching mindset, uh, irrespective of whether their title was a coach or a manager or a, or a developer. And okay. I've worked with. I've worked with quite a few people and they come in from different backgrounds, like they'll be a, a senior developer and they're working with a junior developer and their entire mindset and the way they approach the situation is so very much like an expert coach world yeah. because their focus is not on showing how smart they are. Their focus is not on putting the other person down. Their focus is primarily to say, let me see what you already know. So I can use that to build on top of what you already know so you can be an equal contributor on this team. Right, and help or the person rise, run. yeah. Right, right, right. And uh, these people will be coaching. In other words, they'll use coaching as a skill that they have, okay. whether they have the title of a coach or not. Okay. Right. But if folks are there who apply or want to use coaching skill only after they've been given this title of, a, of an agile coach, uh, that should be a personal self-check that maybe you should not be in this field. Because if you're doing this only because you seek a title, uh, then probably you have some other talents which will be with you whether you have the title or not. Okay. Michael, what about you? I would be very cautious about saying yes or no or, okay. or judging what someone else wants to do. I do think that... There are some people who start off being much further away from coaching than others. 
Okay. So if I look at this through the prism of, say, the CTC, where I'm a reviewer, yeah, you know, there are some people who come across as consultants, even on the question that says, please demonstrate your coaching mindset by working through this scenario. And the concept literally does not exist for them. <laughs> okay. So not that they can't do it. They're just missing some of the pieces they need to get started. Exactly. Okay, cool. So, uh, Michael, if folks want to get in touch with you, like let's say they pick up the book, but they'd still like to reach out to you, are there ways they can contact you? Sure. My email is actually in the book, and it's Michael period Dalamaza, D-E-L-A-M-A-Z-A, okay. at gmail.com. And people are more than welcome to contact me. I'd love to talk about this stuff. Cool. And my good friend, Davo? Yes. it's uh, I'm on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn, D-H-A-V-A-L. P-A-N-C-H-A-L. Cool. All right, guys. Thank you very much for doing this. Um, and I hope everything, Dabal, I hope everything in Houston continues to get better. Um, and I'll make sure to put up the link. Um, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you.